Welcome to the PWE and Me podcast, a place where we talk about the workplace, how it's changing, and ways that we can create an experience at work that is inspiring, real, and motivates us to bring our best self to work. PWE, what is it? Well, it's an acronym for Purposeful Workplace Experience. I'm on a mission to help our workplaces shift from being transactional to transformational, and PWE is how we will get there. My name is Carolyn Suara, your host and creator of PWE. We've got another episode of PWE and me about to begin. And today's guest is, well, as as you said, Edwin, um, I guess not a brother yes. from another mother, a sister from another mister. Edwin and I met a few years ago, three, three four years ago now, and uh, he piqued my curiosity with many things that he said and I thought it would be wonderful to have him on uh, on an episode here we're going to get a little provocative today here aren't we Edwin I hope so that's what I like to do that Mm -hmm. is what you like to do provocative thought so uh, we are going to talk today about getting rid of managers to make your workplace better Ooh, that sounds pretty exciting doesn't it Mm -hmm. yeah yes so uh, welcome, welcome to the show, Edwin. Um, you are now in a role at Ian Mark- Martin Group um, as head of corporate development, and I know you've been with this this group of companies for a while now. And so there's lots of experience you're going to share with us from your time there and your wonderful insights about self management. So uh, thank you for coming on. I'm really excited. Uh, and yeah, I guess you're my sister from another mister, but that makes me your brother from another mother. Uh, but go. yeah, we, when we connected, I think we, we share a lot of the same uh, ideas and experiences around you know, how we can make work more purposeful, more engaging, more meaningful for people. Yeah, and and we both uh, shared um, a past as well, being in in a corporate environment, and and you know a successful one, and and had done quite well. But also, I know when I first met you, I thought, wow, where is it? Like, how come I didn't meet this guy ten years ago? Um, and so, you know, you really helped me evolve my thinking, and I've just learned a ton from you uh, about the world of self management, and and. Uh, and now I'm embarking on that journey as well with uh, another amazing group of folks from One Degree. So let's dig into this concept of getting rid of managers and how that actually means more leadership within a company. Where, mm-hmm. like, where do you want to start? We could start in so many places. Where do you want to start with, Edwin? Um, well, maybe it's good to just start with like, why? Why, why would we... Um, why would I decide to fire myself um, as the manager? Uh, what were we thinking? And and people, you know, think that's that's a, a, a crazy idea, but it's actually it's not that crazy. Um, and why? Why is it not that crazy? Well, uh, you know, I worked for almost a dozen years um, at a, a large high tech company. Um, I was leading marketing, and but people used to say to me, you know, it's more, you should you should be in HR. You're spending all your time on on you know, people development, employee engagement, all these different practices. And I really did. I, I spent a lot of time um, working on all those things. But I, I just felt like there was some real limitations. Uh, I was butting up against the limitations of the various um, HR, you know, and employee engagement practices that we can do. And, and then uh, in 2014, uh, there was a really interesting book put out called Reinventing Organizations uh, mm-hmm. by, by Frederick Leloux. And, and uh, this book just, it blew my mind. It, it uh, completely floored me. Uh, essentially, he looked at uh, 12 different organizations that, that share three qualities. One, uh, they have fired their managers, the bosses. There is no positional authority uh, in the organization. Two, they actually... Uh, encourage people to bring their whole selves to work, um, which is something you know a lot of organizations talk about, but is yeah, very diff- yeah. very difficult to do. Yeah. Uh, and three, uh, instead of having a top-down uh, purpose and values and strategy, um, they've got an evolutionary purpose, an emergent purpose. The purpose and the values uh, and the and the strategy emerges instead of being um, you know you know, top down and, and um, decided. 
it's it's kind of like is it is it kind of like inside out like if it's uh is that a better way to describe it instead of, instead of top down or bottom up well the actually the analogy that is used in the book is that most organizations like the ones that you and I were in before are like a machine literally humans right. are resources and there's yep. inputs and outputs and it's it's supposed to be a meritocracy and it's supposed to be about performance um, and whereas this new type of emerging organization, which, which Lalu labels a teal organization, is more like an ecosystem. So more like a rainforest where all the different, you know, entities have a role and they're interconnected uh, with each other. Well- and so why do we need the rainforest? Why do we need the ecosystem? Let's, let's just kind of go there for a little bit. Cause I mean, you and I both, um, really embrace that and understand that, but why would somebody, um, who is in, um, that meritocracy or, or what Lalu calls an orange organization, why do we need to shift out of that? Yeah, it, it, it's, it's sort of a, a panacea from where I stand, uh, depending on what you want. It, it's better in, all of these different ways. Uh, from an employee engagement point of view, we all know those sorry stats that 70% of people are not engaged at work. Yeah. And, and that they haven't changed forever. Yeah. And and, uh, yeah. and the really even sadder idea is that um, th- these numbers haven't gotten better and they're, they're showing no signs of getting better. Yeah. And and the biggest reason for this is 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 the the quality of the manager. The quality of the manager actually has the biggest makes the biggest impact on whether or not the employees are engaged. But but right. Gallup, who's been studying these things for thirty years, are like, okay, we found the solution. We need better management. But they also have published some studies that say that they believe that nine out of ten managers don't have what it takes to be a great manager. So when you yeah. look at it through that point of view, better management is not the solution. It's the problem. Right. And and let's be clear. We're not saying that people are the problem all the time, right? Like there's obviously going to be bad managers, but there are a lot of people out there who try really hard to be good yes, managers. Yes, absolutely. That's a really important point. The people aren't the problem. It's the positional authority. It's the fact that they can tell other people what to do that they have power right. over other people just by virtue of their title, that's right. the problem. And it's easy, I mean, just it's easy enough to say, hey, it's just a piece of paper, but that authority, that positional structure is there and it causes, um, it just, it, it causes, uh, it, it creates an impact whether you like it yeah, or not. Yeah, and that's the, that was the wake-up call for me. Um you know, I, I was the manager for whatever, 12 years or, or whatnot. And, um, you know, you, you start to believe that you really do have great ideas and, and everyone really yeah. does, uh, is really happy that you're leading the team and that you're making the, you know, the important decisions and you're giving everyone feedback and helping, you know, make them better. Uh, and then when, when people are no longer essentially afraid of you, um, yeah. they will actually either directly tell you what they really think or by virtue of you trying to lead and them not following, you're getting the feedback that maybe this idea wasn't so great. So, so this whole notion of feedback, I mean, we, we do workshops about it all the time, giving good feedback. I just did one last week and, and I mean, it's, it's almost a, a useless that's a pretty strong word, but I'm going to try and be a little yeah. bit provocative. It's a lot. It's pretty useless in a lot of ways because of this positional authority mm-hmm. that's there. It really isn't enough to give people permission to open up and give feedback to their yeah. boss. And the boss has such a big um, plays such a big role in how things. Happen. Yeah, you're right, and, and that is sad, but but I think true um, that it's it's quite rare to have a person who you could say is courageous or sort of crazy um, to tell the, tell the boss, yeah. someone who's, who has a lot of power over them, what they really think, or even in, in giving um, constructive feedback that's trying to help um, that person be a better leader, uh, you know, it, it, it's, it's very risky. It's very risky. Yeah. 
It is. It is. And you know what? We're, we've got so much going on in our lives and, you know, who entering into that place of the unknown or, or taking on that risk. It's, it's a lot, it's a lot. And, and, you know, not something everybody wants to take on. They need that stability of a job. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I would suggest, you know, for, you know, I think the people obviously that are listening to your podcast, they are team leaders, department leaders. Um, they, they want to get better as a leader. And, Absolutely. and so what I found was simply, you know, saying I've got an open door and, um, you know, please give me feedback is, is not enough. Um, that you first of all need to, as much as possible, um, Decharge your own positional authority. So to be very. What do you mean? What do you mean by decharge? Yeah, I think to be very explicit. So you know, in our organization, I don't have any positional authority anymore, um, but mm-hmm. I'm still a scary person to people um, because I do have um, some organic authority uh, or natural authority. Right. right? Um, I've got. Right. I've got strong opinions and and some knowledge and some credibility in some areas. Um, and that's still scary. Uh, so I have to, I have to ask for very specific feedback. Um, so almost every time I do, you know, I'm leading a group meeting, I'm going to people afterwards and saying, what could have been better? How could I have been better? Please tell me. Um, and, and are you getting that? Are people being honest with you or did it, did that take a bit of time? what, What it took was, um, you know, yes, it takes time. It's almost a one by one thing. Uh, one, you know, you're, you're, you're sort of giving, uh, you're telling people one by one how much this matters to you. But I think even more important, um, we've got this, we've got a, a feedback method that we call SBITIR. And it's, okay. it's sort of an expectation. In fact, we've gamified it. Um, where if you see a problem or an opportunity um, in the business or with a particular person, it is your responsibility, and we call it radical responsibility, to do something about it. And when that um, comes to giving someone feedback, you have to give them feedback. And we suggest that you use this SBI model, which we got from a little book called Feedback That Works. Uh, and SB- from the Center of Creative is that Leadership, from? right? Yeah. 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 Yep. Um, yep. And it's a very simple model. S stands for situation. So remember, Car- Carolyn, you know, last week when we had lunch, um, B stands for behavior. Uh, you know, you uh, told me I should pay for lunch um, because I never <laughs> do. And impact. What was the impact? I stands for impact. What was the impact on me? So, oh, you know, that made me feel like I'm a cheapskate. Uh, whatever. Uh, and, and, and I can't talk about my assumptions or, or other people. I can only talk about the impact on me, the negative impact on me. And, and then I give that to you as a gift because my assumption is you don't want me to have a negative impact. So I'm actually giving you this gift of feedback to help you not have a negative impact on me. And for us to have a more positive, you know, constructive relationship. And then... So it's really, yeah. it's aligning that impact and intention. It is. It totally is. Except um, we have another sort of corollary um, process around impact and intention, um, which I think is it's important to do after this initial exchange. Because if, if you answer with, oh, well, that was not my intention... If I, if I give you this feedback and then you say, well, that was not my intention to make you feel like a cheapskate, well, I, I won't feel heard. I won't feel you know, validated. Mm. Right. Um, so, right. so the expectation when if I'm giving you the gift of feedback, here's the SBI, you have to respond T-I-R. And this, I think, is more important for uh, team leaders to do really, really, really well. Because if you don't do this well, you'll never get another gift. And okay, and so what's T stand for? T stands for thank you. So you got to thank me, you know. Hey. So thank you, Edwin, for telling me about that impact on you when I asked you to pay for dinner, even though I didn't. 
Yeah, and uh, that was a bad example, did, but yeah. So thank you, Edwin. I did, pay. I did pay for that lunch anyway. You didn't did I? pay, yes. but you did. I said I'm paying next time. Right. Though. So you did say that. I remember that. So n- not a great example, <laughs> but let's go with it. So yeah, you would say thank you. It took a lot of courage, and you must care a lot about our relationship to to share that that you didn't feel great about that. So genuinely, thank you. And then the I stands for inquire. So now let me understand. Have I ever made you feel like that before? Mm. Is this, is, what else can I learn about this? Um, what else do you want to tell me about the impact on you? What's, what's that all about? Let me deeply understand this gift. I want to open this gift and I want to, I want to play with it. I want to see what, what is this all about? Wow. And then, and, 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 then, then, the R. and then the R, yeah. the R is, um, is record. Uh, and that's how we've gamified it. So we use Microsoft Teams. It's like, you know, it's like Slack. So then you would have to go onto Microsoft Teams and you go hashtag TIR and you say, thanks, Edwin, for giving me this great gift. You can say what it was about or not. You just have to record that. Wow. And, and then we count it. Uh, so every month uh, on, the, on the last team that I worked on, we have a feedbacker of the month uh, award. And so you can actually see who's out there helping people grow, who's out there helping people, giving gifts of feedback that, that help people uh, improve as a leader and that, that solidify relationships. Uh, and so do you yeah. have a separate MS channel, like uh, a channel on MS Teams to capture all that? Uh, actually, and we, we actually use another software to track this. It's called 15.5 that we also use for weekly updates. But um, when we used to do it um, in Microsoft Teams exclusively, it was just in a in like sort of the main Teams uh, channel. Okay. It doesn't really matter where you do it. It just matters that you're able to count it. Right, um, right. And that I think it's very powerful when you see, you know, your colleagues giving each other feedback, it reminds you, hey, I have a responsibility to be giving lots of feedback too. So let's let's unpack this a little bit. So your own journey, Edwin, with this, um, you know, you said you can be scary, you can be, um, you know, dominant, or you have like strong opinions. Um, And your intention, I presume, was never to get up in the morning and think, I'm going to go be an asshole at work today and boss everyone around, right? That was never your your intention. A couple of times it was, but not generally, no. (laughs) All right. Um, So what part of the SBITIR process was the hardest for you? And tell us a little bit about that journey for you. Yeah. And, uh, uh, I don't know if it's the hardest, but definitely the most important, not only for me, but I think really for all people in positions of power, is TIR. I knew that if I wasn't the best TIRer in the group, that I wouldn't be getting those gifts. So mm-hmm. I would like go out of my way uh, in each situation to to really effusively, genuinely thank a person, realize how, how hard it would be for them, how much courage it took to, to give me this gift. I would investigate and inquire, uh, almost like I'm going to write a paper about, you know, what, what I can learn from this and what really happened here. Um, and then I would say, I would not only record it, but I would try to be, you know, quite vulnerable in my recording. And I would say what I learned from it and, and, and sort of, you know, air my dirty laundry out there. And then in in many cases, I would say, now, please go tell your friends, go tell Mm -hmm. everyone that Edwin is not scary, that he loves feedback, that he will, um, you, you will get to a much better place with him that you will, you know, you will feel valued and appreciated uh, for doing that, that really the way to build a better relationship with me um, is by giving me feedback. Uh, and right. there was, there's, you know, I've gotten literally hundreds of, of uh, difficult, you know, feedback for people to give me. And I'm very proud that I think it's really only twice that I, I got triggered and, and a little bit defensive. Um, mm-hmm. and, and that's, I mean, you can ruin a reputation pretty quickly too. Um, so that's, yeah. that's, that's, you know, really awful. Um, if you do get defensive, I mean, it, it's understandable, but you, you really got to avoid that and you got to avoid what you were indicating before. If I respond by saying, well, that wasn't my intention. I'm not a bad guy. This is what I meant. Ooh. Okay. That does not, uh, that's dangerous. Um, 
It is well because it 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 de it deval is that even a, right, a word devalidates but it, it basically it's using that power again to say hey you know what that wasn't my yeah. intention yeah you know? we we've just did a yeah, bunch of training back. around intent and impact and the way we're we're experimenting with it is you do SBITIR then the person who's getting the feedback so in this case you would say hey okay I I you know I get it I'm going to repeat it back to you I think I think we're good here would you mind can I explain to you what my intention was when I said whatever mm. you said? And it's, so you ask for permission. And then the other right. person has an opportunity to say, well, you know what? I like, this is still pretty raw or I don't know if I really, you know, I'm still kind of hurt by this. Um, let's, I'd rather not. Or they can say, yeah, I, I really would. Um, I, you know, like I, I feel like you received my gift and now I, I, I do want to understand and untangle. And then then you go into the intent impact um, discussion, which actually then is very helpful too. So next time when we're in a similar situation, um, how should I do this? And and what we often find is that it's it's the person who was hurt, it's their assumptions about the other person's intention that are part of right. the problem. Um, but first, we've got to unpack the gift before we can unpack the intentions, in, in my opinion. Yeah, that's, um, yeah, there, I mean, there's so much there. What comes to mind, too, is this acronym of BIG uh, from from the Dare to Lead work by Brene Brown, Boundaries, Integrity, and Generosity, and how important um, those three things are to um, to building trust and understanding that that intent and i i find for me sometimes that g that generosity i don't always extend the generosity to myself or even somebody else mm -hmm. i might think oh why did they write that stupid email like mm -hmm. um and it, it's it's so easy to go to um especially when you're busy and overwhelmed it's so easy to like lose that generous thinking and and those assumptions creep in and and all of a sudden you've built this big story that isn't necessarily built on any fact. Yes. And that's, that's sort of my a current obsession um, for me right now is, is understanding. I mean, we we're meaning making machines as human beings. We're constantly, right. you know, creating stories about, you know, why something happened, what's going to happen in the future. Uh, and and to, I, I believe that the degree to which we can um, author and, and, and understand, you know, what our negative self-talk is saying and then process it in more healthy ways. Um, that's a that's a real key uh, for leadership, personal development. Absolutely, and and would you say being in a self managed environment has allowed you to dig into that deeper than when you were in um, a, a more hierarchical? Oh yeah, um, uh, I mean, I like to say that you know I learned more um, from a couple years of not being the boss than I did and 10 years of, of leadership development courses and books and, um, and all mm. of these things, um, because it forces you to take a real hard, honest look at yourself. Um, so yeah, absolutely. It's, it's been, I, I, I think it's, 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 it's personal and leadership development on steroids, um, is what right. it is. And, and, and you had said um, at one time, too, is that self-management actually means more leadership, even though there aren't managers. Yeah. Um, so what is that? Yeah, say more about that. Well, I, I mean, in, in, a, in a typical organization, um, there are sort of – there's span of control and span of leadership um, the higher you go up in the hierarchy. Um, and in, in self-management, it's more like each – each person um, is constantly encouraged to extend their span as far as they can in that moment. Uh, so it's it's it, there's there's sort of a leadership vacuum that's created when you remove positional authority, and then and then various literally everyone steps into it in different ways. Um, so we talk about a. a, a a key principle at our organization is the polarity between freedom and responsibility. Anyone can make any decision. Anyone can do anything provided you follow the advice process, provided you follow what we call our teal operating system. And everyone right. is responsible for everything. We, we like to refer that 
to that as radical responsibility, um, that you are responsible for your own engagement. You are responsible for maximizing your positive impact on the business and on the team. And if you see a problem or opportunity, you have to do something about it. It is your problem by definition. So there is no such thing as complaining. There is no such thing as pointing fingers. It's literally, there's no room for it uh, in our organization. Right. And, and so what happens if somebody starts complaining? Is it that embedded where um, people either don't complain or they quickly learn, oh boy, I better take this on or I have to do something yeah, about it's, it? Yeah, it's actually, I mean, sometimes, you, you know, you might have people complaining or like what we call sliming, you know, complaining about people or, uh, and then whoever they're yep. sliming um, or whoever they're talking to is going to say, okay, so what are you going to do? I need to hold you accountable to doing something about this or... What's the more common situation? So we say either you're going to do something about it or you're going to let it rest. And the more common situation is that people are saying, I'm going to let this rest, but it's actually not resting. Mm. So it's actually still alive in them and still bugging them and bothering them. They just haven't found the courage to do something about it. And I think that's where also the personal, the self-development comes in, right? Because if you can't let something rest, maybe there's something there to understand yeah. about why you can't let it rest. Yeah. And that's, I mean, to me, the first step is, is really, it's about self-awareness and mindfulness and, and first seeing the thoughts um, that, that are, you know, whether it's negative self-talk or, or whatever, or, or putting your finger on the emotions that you feel. Right. Um, so like I've, I've been in the last six months in my weekly update um, every week, I, I think about, um, how have I been triggered this past week, emotionally, negatively triggered? And and how in that moment or around that thing did I move from a place of fear to a place of love and abundance and um, positivity? And the goal is to pretty quickly, you know, I'm triggered. I realize I'm triggered. Yeah. You know, how do I change my thinking on this? Um, and, and the most important thing is that I don't act out of that fear-based place, that I don't say anything out of that fear-based place, but you know, I'm not, uh, I'm not there yet. Um, so, you know, you, you know, if, if I have acted or said something, then it's unpacking, okay, what's the negative impact of that? And how do I learn from, um, from that? So what might be, can you give us an example of that? Cause you know, I know that you and I talking about fear in the, in a system and love and that kind of thing where we're cool with that. But those, those two words um, might be a little bit new for people uh, when it comes to looking at their organization um, or, you know, coming from a place of scarcity versus abundance. So could you give a mm -hmm. personal example? Would you, would you mind being vulnerable like that? I, I would love it. I would love to. <laughs> um, and I think vulnerability is, is the key. Um, uh, and so I'll, I'll share sort of my most transformational uh, experience of the last few years. Um, my most beloved colleague that I respect so much, um, she came to me one day with, with a real whopper <laughs> of feedback. Uh -oh. She said, um, in the, these last whatever, three or four group meetings or, in, you know, she, she had some specific examples you got into push mode. Mm. You got into really trying to push whatever it was, um, whatever idea, whatever agenda it was, and convince me and the other people there um, that this was the right way to go. And when I realized when you do that, when you're acting like that, it shuts me down. It makes me think that my ideas are not valuable. It makes me think that you're going to do this anyway. So what's the point um, of, you know, arguing? Um, it, you know, it, it basically does the opposite of what I would want, which is to bring out the best in people. You know, it, it pushes her down. Right. That's a pretty clear SBI right there. Yeah. Yeah. And it was, um, again, like this. I, and the hardest thing for me was I had thought that that kind of, um, you know, strong, persuasive um, style was, was a good thing, was, was one of my strengths. Hmm. And, and, then I'm, and I'm hearing, oh, no, it's not a strength. It's, it's a weakness. And um, so I, I asked her, like, 
but am I always like that? And she's like, well, no, that's the weird thing. There's other times or most other times when you're very, you're pulling, you're not pushing, you're pulling people and you're trying to deeply understand and you're very collaborative. And in one-on-one when in coaching, you're like that. But then there's these, there's these times when you get into push mode and that's really bad. Um, so I'm like, okay. Um, and then I asked her, well, do you think anyone else would feel this way? And she said, uh, yeah, <laughs> I think so. Mm. So, so, so what I did was um, a stop, start, continue exercise. So I, I wrote a note to everyone on the team, said, I, you know, I've gotten this feedback. I really desperately want to understand what's going on here. Um, so can you think about anything, just whatever comes to your mind, what would you like me to start doing? What would you like me to stop doing? What would you like me to continue doing? And then let's have these meetings. And so I did that. And um, I stopped after seven people because everyone <laughs> was kind of saying the same thing. That, really? That she, that she and was. were they emailing it? Were they writing it? Or did they were they telling you to your face? I asked them to think about it beforehand. And then I had one-on-one meetings with each person okay. so that they could give give it to me. Um, okay. And now, like we use a tool uh, called Lumio. Now we would probably use, like, have those meetings, and then they would type up their feedback in Lumio. Um, but at the time, I was just writing notes, and then I would repeat back to them. I think I summarized. Actually, I summarized all of the notes and sent it back to them and said, "Is okay. this right?" And okay. so, so I was left with like, okay, I clearly I do this sometimes. And everyone's pointing to that, those same moments, but I don't do it all the time. So why am I doing it sometimes, but not all the times? What's happening in these situations where I'm getting into push mode? And I had this, re- this, this realization that continues to be so powerful to me. I get into push mode when I'm afraid of where I see us going. Mm. And, and I think, wow. oh, no, we don't want to go there. We want to go over here. So I, I try to railroad us over there. And that's the fear, right? It's, this fear of going the, the wrong way. the fear of, yeah, of going the wrong way, of ending up in this bad place. Um, and I didn't even realize before this that I, I you know, I had fears. Um, I, was, I was totally, you know, blind to that, that fear-based drive uh, or instinct um, in those situations. But that's absolutely what it was. And, and so wow. then I went back to a few people and I was like, okay, so what should I do when I'm, when I'm afraid? And they're like, you idiot. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, what should you do? Just tell us, tell us what you're afraid of. And, and that's wow. what vulnerability looks like to me. So vulnerability right. for me is not saying I don't know something or like I almost have no shame. It's very hard for me to be embarrassed of anything. Um, but vulnerability for me is saying that I'm afraid. Uh, that's the right. hard thing. That's the, the version of vulnerability that's hard for me. Well, and vulnerability really is about just um, entering into a discussion or a conversation when you don't know what the outcome is. And so it sounded like in those examples, you thought it should be one way, but maybe it didn't need to be, but it was the fear of not knowing. Is that, is that fair to say? No, it's not. Well, it's fair to say, okay. but it, it's not, it's not quite right for me, at least. For yeah. you. Okay. Um, it really is about, uh, it's wrapped up in, in my perception um, of, of, of what I am and how I should be as a leader. And, and the responsibility I feel that whatever team or project that I'm working on succeeds for everyone. Um, and, and, and like for me, it's just a, ever since I was a kid, I just, if there's a leadership opportunity, I just, I just do it. Um, right. Um, yeah. So how did you know, though, that that way that you wanted it to go was the right way? Like your fear that it was it was going to go in the wrong direction, but how do you know that what you were thinking oh, was the that, right direction? Oh, and I mean that's 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 sort of part two of this realization, and and why it's been so powerful, okay. which is um, in, embedded in that belief. You're absolutely right. Was it? I know, I know what I'm doing that I'm right, but I'm not right. right. <laughs> I don't know that. Yeah. Um. Uh, so so 
the the sort of the belief that change that I need to make was from I know what I'm doing or when I'm confident or opinionated about something, I should get other people on board with me to the belief that mm. the collective intelligence, the group's collective intelligence is always smarter than I am, provided that I am a voice in that group. Right. And so my role is not to convince or to be loud or to railroad, but rather just to make sure that my voice is heard and that all of the other voices are heard and that we go through a good process of collective, you know, sense making and and and, and collective decision making. And, yeah, and that's something I intellectually already believe, but I clearly emotionally did not believe that. Right. Or the fear exactly. was getting in the way, right? You wanted exactly. to believe it. Yeah. So, okay. So this place of coming, so you got the feedback, you realized that uh, you were coming from a place of fear in certain situations. What um, happened then for well, you? Well, so then, you know, I asked some people, what should I do instead? And, and they're like, you idiot, you, you tell, you tell us what you're afraid of. And then one of two things is going to happen. Either we're not afraid of that thing, that place, and we'll, We'll tell you why and we'll work on, you know, we'll work on that. Or we'll say, yeah, we're afraid of that too. And and then we'll work on that. And I was mm-hmm. like, really? Okay. Are you sure? So, uh, so, and then I started trying it and, you know, first in, you know, in, in fairly easy ways. Um, but you know, build. What would be what would be what an example be? What do you mean in like an easy way? Well, like you know, let's say we're we're moving towards a decision that's not a huge decision that I don't you know agree with, uh, and then I you know, just say, guys, I'm afraid right now, and here's what I'm afraid of, you know. But mm, but okay. if you know if the, if it whatever happens, I'm I'm not really that concerned, you know. So I would try it with little little decisions, um, little little projects. And, okay. and then I would just sort of step up and step up. Um, and, and it's amazing. And this is why I, I mean, I, I'm a big fan as well of, of, of Brene Brown's work. I, I, I literally saw the power of, of vulnerability because I, I would, mm. I would say, here's what I'm afraid of. And then instead of a lot of times when I was in push mode, people would, would either like, you know, literally physically pull away or they would, you know, it's, it's fight or flight, right. Or they would fight and argue. But when right. I would say, "Oh, I'm I'm afraid," I'm afraid. It's this this opening, and it's literally everyone leans in emotionally. They're like, yeah. "Oh, he's got emotions. He's you know," yeah. and and they he's and they real. they want to collaborate and they want to fix it together and they want to address it. Um, and it's it's like I call it a leadership aphrodisiac, you know, vulnerability. Uh, it, right. It's magical. It's magical. Um, that I'm more successful as a leader by saying what I'm afraid of than I am by pointing to a solution and trying to get people there. So when did you, you said you did, you did a few little, like uh, you did it in sort of like low risk or low stake situations. When did you, like, can you recall the time when you really thought, holy, like, I'm really going to push it here. I'm really pushing myself out of my comfort zone, being vulnerable. Uh, yeah, there's been lots, um, uh, but re- recently one comes to mind. Um, we have a process for resolving conflicts that we call the resolution practice mm-hmm. where you get a facilitator, um, to, to basically, it's like having a, a couple's counselor, okay. um, you know, work you through uh, the, the, the problem and come to a better place. Okay. And, um, what's really, it's, it's a transformational process. I mean, sure you can actually resolve the, whatever the, the business conflict is or the interpersonal conflict, but at the same time, like, it's like you're getting counseling and you're seeing what's, what's driving and creating these negative emotions. So I, I went through one, I initiated one with, um, with a, with a colleague that we, we had a ton of respect for each other, really liked working together, but we're at loggerheads around, um, a, you know, a particular business decision. Hmm. And we just asked for help. And, and in getting that help, I was forced to understand what was triggering me 
and I was, you know, very angry in this situation. And, and uh, I'm, I'm a big believer of the of using the Enneagram, which is a personality typing system to better yeah. understand yourself and other people. Uh, and I looked at my Enneagram report, which said, here's, uh, here's like the five triggers of, of the eight, the five common triggers. And I realized that I was being triggered in three out of the five. Oh, <laughs> boy. Uh-oh. Yeah. And, 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 and like, it wasn't objective fact. It was my meaning making, my storytelling that mm-hmm. was, that was in the way right. in this case. Uh, and then she similarly was getting triggered and we were, we were just missing each other. We actually weren't even in conflict. I don't think. Wow. We were missing each other. And then we better understood ourselves and we better understood the other person. And now we are as tight as, as you can be. Uh, it, it's amazing. And so that fear, so you were, when you talked about those three triggers, that was like, that was putting you into an, into a place of fear. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. 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 And, and, and for me, my type, um, when I'm in a place of fear, it's, it's, it's typically, it, it drives, you know, an anger response and, right. and an aggressive response. And I'm not proud of that. Uh, I don't like that. In fact, I, you know, that's what I'm trying to change, but um, that's, that's what was happening. Which is in that recognition of, so when you come from a place of love, wh- what shows up instead then? Um, the opposite of anger. Uh, the highest version of my personality type is the magnanimous servant leader. The leader where Lao Tzu says the highest leader is the one where the people say we did it ourselves. Mm. And I like to, th- I like to think of, of Nelson Mandela as the highest possible version of my uh, personality type. And why him? Why did you choose well, him? Well, he's no, you know, known as one of the people that they, you know, believe is my personality type, which is called the eight. And, okay. um, I mean, he was in jail for whatever, 20 years, um, and then came out as the most powerful person in the country and could have obviously done whatever he wanted to, to right the wrongs. Um, but instead was this incredible magnanimous, you know, reconciliation, force for reconciliation and healing, mm. um, which is, I think, ultimately, whenever I'm in a pickle, I ask myself, what would Nelson Mandela do? And it's not whatever I was thinking about doing. <laughs> uh, that's a good practice. I need to find out who, who mine is. Who's a, I'm, I'm an Enneagram too. Who, who would be... Uh. Yeah, I'm kind of putting you on the spot there. Well, I don't know if you're going to look it up and you'll see. I mean, an, another one for me with the eight is Mother Teresa. People think that Mother Teresa is a two like you. The two is the helper, but actually, Mother Mother Teresa, yeah, um, was an eight, and um, so that's another version of like um, ultimately helping people. And eight integrates to two, so I can learn a lot uh, from you and your type and. Um, yeah, the Enneagram, right. I mean, we won't go too far down this, this rabbit hole because I know people are like, what are you talking about? But um, we've, we've, I've personally tested dozens and dozens of you know, personality tests and everything. And, and in my mind, the Enneagram is in a completely different category in terms of uh, helping people to transform themselves, but also to deeply understand other people uh, and, and work uh, to help them grow. Yeah. Well, and for me, um, where it's really helped me, and I've only re- recently understood it for the past probably 10 months or so, is is those darker sides, right? Like where we go yeah. to in that place of fear and then what it looks like when we come from a place of love yeah. or a place of strength and being really clear with that. And as you said, understanding when mm-hmm. our colleagues do that. So it's not like, oh, Edwin's just being a jackass today. It's like, oh, he's coming from a place of fear. He's on the dark side of eight. What does that yeah, look like? Yeah, and, so, and this is this is something that we're useful. thinking a lot about and I believe is our biggest opportunity right now as a self-managing organization. Uh, I wrote an article about it that I think you read, which is that what we've noticed is that people typically sort of go through a three-step process in their adoption of self-management. The first step is the head. Mm-hmm. You intellectually understand how this works and you think, yeah, it's better. Let's try it. You know, I want to try it. Um, and basically, we can't hire someone unless they've, you know, they're, they're past the first stage. They get it. They, they, they understand what they're signing up for. Um, 
but they only understand yep. that intellectually. And it's almost always way harder emotionally than what they realize. And, and that's the second stage, which yep. we call the heart stage or the emotional stage. And what we find there, and this is where I think we are generally as an organization, it's not about how to do SBITIR or how to do a role advice process or how to do self-set compensation or how to do uh, an advice process or consent-based decision-making or all of these things. That's fairly straightforward to understand how to do these things. The hard part is when you're getting triggered, when you're, when you're getting some tough feedback or you're in a conflict um, and, and you're getting triggered, you're in that fear place and you need to move to that, that love place. And being in that fear place means, oh, I got to take care of myself here. I got to protect myself. And typically what people mm-hmm. do is then point fingers at right. other, other people. This is their fault, their fault, their fault, their fault, not mine. I don't need to listen to this feedback. I don't like, there's nothing of value there for, I got to protect myself against this. And, and I like to say, um, personal development, uh, at least at our company is a team sport. And it's a team sport because when that person is in that heart, emotional, um, difficulty, everyone that cares about them and works with them has a role to play in helping them through that. And ultimately it's, it's them believing that right. I don't have to be, I don't have to protect myself, the team, the group, these people are, will protect me, will take care of me. I need to trust the collective intelligence. I need to trust uh, the feedback that I'm getting. I need to inquire and understand it and use it to grow. And, and that's sort of what happened to me, you know, in, in that, that kind of, that shift um, that, that I had to make a couple of years ago, where ultimately I had to trust the collective intelligence in, in every situation. Um, and that's an emotional, you know, an emotional change, not, I mean, it's first an intellectual change, but it's really not a change until you emotionally, um, you know, believe it. And then, and then the third phase, which sort of, you never complete, um, we call is the habit, you know, the, the habit shifts, so all these different ways, all these old habits, all the new habits, and then constantly sort of working on um, showing up the way that you want to show up, showing up like Nelson Mandela and not like, you know, uh, angry Edwin Jansen. Right. <laughs> and so, and you said those, you know, that those three things were fundamental through the shift into self, into self-management, correct? I, I just think this is, this is what we've noticed. Um, right. That's that's happening, and generally, we're, we're in the heart phase, um, where there's a lot of people that are that are in these sort of crux moments, um, and they need you know they 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 need a lot of um, you know love and support and care to get through those those tough moments. And and I would say that's like that's the evolution of being a leader. Um, is that head part and then the heart part and then the habits. And so, you know, it's really, it it comes back to what you said earlier, which is self-management is, it it really means more leadership. And, and, and if you're going to be a good leader, you're going to go through those, those phases or those growth or, or that growth. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, um, it's beautiful. We could talk. We could talk for even longer. Uh, you know, I, I'm realizing we've we've already talked for over 45 minutes here. Really? So I'm thinking that we're going to have to wrap it up, Edwin. Yeah, yeah, we are. We are. I used to I used to say all the time, I love to hear myself talk until I did a podcast and I heard myself talk. It's <laughs> like, oh God, no, I do not like to hear myself talk. I like to talk. <laughs> I don't like to hear myself talk. So I'm not. I am not looking forward to to hearing this uh, later. Well, but it's been a really, it's been a really uh, beautiful conversation. Yeah. Well, thank you, Edwin. And um, I, I'm not going to ask you to pay for the bill on this one. I'll I'll look after the bill on this one. <laughs> um, right. But uh, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your insights around uh, self management, around being vulnerable, and your your own journey with that. And we'll make sure to. Um, uh, when we when we publish this to put a few of those links that you referred to um, and so before we close off is there is there anything uh, you, like any hashtags or anywhere you want to direct people to in terms of resources or anything to do about you before we close off um, 
Not really. I mean, I'm on LinkedIn. I, I, I don't spend a ton of time on Twitter. Uh, anyone who wants to connect with me, I love to, anyone who's interested in the self-management journey, anyone who really wants to try to implement some of these practices in their team, uh, I, I will make time uh, for that. It, it, uh, I, I'm just, I couldn't be more enthusiastic about the difference um, that this has, has made. Uh, so, so that's, that's definitely, you know, where my passions are, um, right now. And, and then before we close off, I just want to say thank you, uh, uh, Carolyn for like the whole purposeful work experience that I I feel like you and I were doing the same work. We're just in different spaces, you know, doing it in different ways. And, and I, I appreciate, um, all the work that you're doing. I think it's very important. And um, yeah, like the world is changing for the better um, through how we're engaging with our work. Um, and and I, I, I think this is life-changing transformational stuff. Well, well, thank you, Edwin. And uh, I look forward to uh, this journey as we continue it. And I think it's only going to get more exciting in the years to come. All right. All right. We'll wrap it up. Thanks everyone for listening to this latest episode of PWE and me, and we'll see you again soon. Interested in hearing more about PWE? Well, I'd welcome you to buy my book, Rules of Engagement, Building a Workplace Culture to Thrive in an Uncertain World. I share stories, personal and professional, about different elements of PWE. And it's available on Amazon or on Indigo. Thanks to all of you out there. This is why we do this. This is why we have this conversation. We look forward to being with you again on our next PWE and Me podcast. Now, the best way you can hear us is to subscribe on Spotify, or iTunes. And if you don't like either one of those two, you can always go to my website at carolynswara.com.